0: Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the NOLCast. Bud, got a lot of things to cover today. We've got a lot of uh, good listener questions going to draw upon, as we have recently, some of your firsthand experience uh, seeing these prospects on uh, some of the seven on scene. And, uh, yeah, we'll jump into it. As always, we will thank our friends New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, title sponsor, the NOLCast and the driving force. Uh, behind all of which uh, that is that we do. So let's just start real quickly with the spring game. Official announcement that there will be, uh, I think, 10,000 general admission tickets sold, 4,000 to students. And then I imagine they may have a separate allotment for the Champions uh, Club. So somewhere between, I would guess, fourteen to 17,000 people on hand. Uh, one, great that it looks like there's actually going to be a spring game. That's a step forward from where we were 365 days ago and uh, even better that looks like you're starting to see people uh, return to Doe Campbell Stadium. So look forward to it very much and nice to see us take another step in the direction that is uh, hopefully a, a normal sports uh, season as normal as possible at this point. But uh, there you are for the spring game plans. That's pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm actually glad that Florida State is having, you know, some sort of
1: spring game. We We, we know a lot of schools are are not doing the spring game thing, uh, but I'm 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 excited. Florida State is. I, I I think anything you can do to get them to kind of return to normalcy, and uh, especially a- after the last season that you had, and sort of the you know the lost opportunity to take advantage of of the hype and and newfound energy and excitement over a new coaching staff. Yeah, may, may, maybe maybe they'll pack this thing. Up. I
0: I assume they'll sell that out. I would think with those numbers, they would sell that out, maybe pretty quickly. I think tickets go on sale today, uh, the 17th of March. So if you have an interest, I would uh, go ahead and act on that sooner than later and hope to see as many of y'all as possible. So look forward to it. And, uh, yeah, spring game, formal plans. Good for that. All right, bud. So you saw uh, one, Mr. uh, An IMG quarterback who I believe a certain amount of the fan base is pretty interested in as far as uh, his leaderboard and his uh, declared leaderboard. Give give us your thoughts on uh, the quarterback Duffy that you saw on one of the recent seven on events.
1: Yeah, so so I I, I got to end up going to the Elite Eleven uh, quarterback camp in, in Orlando, which is cool. I'm glad we're having camps open back up, and that's great. Uh, you know, Elite Eleven not really quite what it was in, in prior years. Um, you know, to me, there first of all, I'm, I'm really thankful that that they're doing it again. Uh, just so many kids packed on, 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 the one field and, and you had over a hundred quarterbacks working out on one field. So it was basically just a bunch of quarterback drills, you know, for four hours. And it, I think it limited some of the, some of the routes you could throw. Um, and they didn't really do a whole lot to showcase like the, the top guys, like they, they used to do kind of a, a really, you know, grueling gauntlet style drill at the end. And they don't have the field space to do that now when you're inviting uh, that many kids, especially that many young kids out there, but I, I was still able to, to see a pretty good bit. And number one, I was still able to see that, God, I wish this state produced some quarterbacks, man, this is, it ain't there. I, I was joking with Josh Newberg and saying okay, of the, you know, to be seniors, the, the class of 2022 here, how many of these guys will play quarterback at the power five level? And we set the over under at like two and a half. And we realized that the two are not even from the state of Florida. Right, because Duffy's not from, actually from Florida, even though he plays at IMG, and Holden Gariner is not from Florida; he's he's from Georgia. But I, I thought Duffy looked good. Right, I I, I named him my, my alpha dog for the twenty four seven Sports top performers. Wasn't necessarily hard to to be the alpha dog. Just full disclosure, because of of the the talent around there, and and you, you got to give it to somebody. Measured in at at six one two eighteen, so. Uh, a little bit shorter I, I think what was on his profiles but not you know not concerningly short he's got a a pretty smooth compact stroke ball comes out of his hand with you know good velocity that doesn't overwhelm me as far as you know velo or or athleticism um as far as the drills where you have to react to to the, what, what what the defense is doing he was pretty good in those I mean didn't really misfire a whole lot. Accuracy on the day was was pretty solid, you know. And, and I say this: the guy is a, a four star quarterback, and he didn't get to play as a junior due, due to the you know the virus shutting down seasons and whatnot. So he's really excited to get back out there and play. You know, he, he didn't blow me away as like a no doubt superstar, you know, top one hundred fringe five star type player. Just didn't see that. I, I've been doing this job now at these events for thirteen years and i don't get them all right but there are certain kids who really pop and you know he didn't pop in that way uh but he's still impressive and, and, and still good and i i think probably still a better quarterback uh recruit than than Nico is the the quarterback they have committed right now we we spoke with them after the event this article's free now on 247sports.com and and he and We asked him, "Was like, hey, so what? Uh, what's the deal with all the crystal balls for Arizona State? Despite the fact that you left them out of your top four, and and you know, they've the crystal balls have been there for Arizona State since early February, and they're very high confidence, and and uh, and nobody's changing them." He's like, "Well, they're not wrong, you know." Um, he's like, "I just, you know, there was kind of a situation there, and and, and told Arizona State they'd make his top four, and then all the crystal balls came in." So he he did clarify, and you can read into this how you will, and I suspect that you will. His top four is not like a final four, and that he's still talking quite a bit to Arizona State and West Virginia. So, look, I, I think the kid's going to Arizona State. That's that's just just my opinion there. You yeah. know, if you if you drop a top four after all those crystal balls roll in, and uh, doesn't have that school that all the crystal balls are, are pointed at, it it can create some some intrigue for your commitment, right? And uh, I think it has.
0: It's a top four, but not a final four. Bud, um, a quote to be remembered. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know that kind of confirms a lot of what uh, we had talked about for the past couple of weeks, and and certainly others had uh, come to their own conclusion that you know either that was a uh, uh, just a not necessarily an attempt to drum up uh, you know drama tied to his uh, recruitment, but you know. Yeah,
1: I don't think he's really like, like a high drama kid. Um, and you know, in fact, I asked him, okay, like, hey, are, are you, do you want to decide on, on TV? And, uh, and, and he was like, no, I, I, I don't. So no, I, I don't think he's a kid who's, who's looking for, for
0: attention. Fair enough. Um, okay. So we talked about. Quarterbacks and kind of a overall lack of quarterback, as you referenced in state there. You did see a commitment to UCF, uh, with a prospect that Florida State was involved with. Thomas Castellanos, prospect out of Ware County, Georgia, here, uh, commits to UCF as a quarterback. Certainly not a position that Florida State was, uh, you know, looking at him as did was intrigued by kind of the, uh, the athlete and the prospect that he would be, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, but, uh, just somebody worth noting. For now, comes off the board as he pops to UCF.
1: Yeah, I, I spoke with him too, and he he's basically said, "Look, I I feel like I'm a quarterback." And I said, "So you have a decision to make," and because he, he was listing off which schools were recruiting him at at which positions, and I said, "Look, I mean, it's pretty clear that the you know upper tier power five schools, like or hell, pretty much all the power five schools, with the exception of I think Georgia Tech, are recruiting you as a running back." The thing is, man, if you are, if there's any shot you can play quarterback at this level, schools will oftentimes kind of, you know, suggest that you can maybe play some quarterback, right? There's a, a delicate way to thread that needle, certainly. Florida State's just straight up recruiting these guys as a running back and not doing the quarterback thing at all. And he takes a visit to UCF. Now you can't meet with the coaches there, but you can tour the campus. He's from Ware County, Georgia, as we mentioned. A group time to play. Where's that Georgia County?
0: <laughs> One of our favorite games here on the Knollcast. Yeah, Ware County, uh, Wakehouse, Georgia. It's down in the not the furthest like southeast corner, but it's uh, you know he'll, he'll be able to access 75 pretty quickly and, and get down into Central Florida if that ultimately is uh, where he ends up.
1: So uh, you know he takes a visit to UCF. I, I think that's fresh on his mind, and then he he commits. Um, he, I think he visited on. On Saturday, he, he commits to UCF on Monday. We, we're not a UCF show. He's a pretty good fit for what Gus Malzahn wants to do with quarterback mobility. If you watch him as a thrower, uh, just looking at, at the overall arm, uh, especially when, when they had to throw some of the longer stuff, and also you know, size-wise, just not not what the Power 5 schools are going to be looking for at the quarterback position. You could tell me, yeah, but Kyler Murray. But I'm going to say, yeah, but we mentioned Kyler Murray because he is the only guy who's that tiny. And if you recruit based on outliers, you're going to get fired. Yeah, we'll see how much he wants to stick with with playing quarterback. If he does, I think he could be pretty dangerous at that level. I know FSU will continue to recruit him as a running back, but they they really like him as far as his ability to catch the ball and be dangerous in space out of the backfield. And in a year where the running back class is not real good, I don't want to say it hurts, but I... If you're a coach at Florida State, you're like really like this kid's going to go play quarterback. So, just interesting there to uh, to to monitor that one as it goes forward.
0: Fair enough. Um, okay, so we do have some movement at the wide receiver position. A prospect that we talked about uh, a pretty decent amount on the uh, previous uh, most recent Noel cast. Uh Devon Mortimer, a talented. Uh, Teammate of uh, of Kelly, the defensive end that Florida State has committed out of uh, out of Dillard High School down there in Fort Lauderdale, Mortimer ends up going public. A really fast kid. Talked about the level of production that he had in six or seven games this year. One of the more dynamic punt returners uh, that South Florida's seen in a while. I believe he owns the Broward County uh, records in uh, in such production. So uh, a lot to be excited about. I don't know. You know how much of a a backstory there is here, Bud, but a a really solid ad, and uh, you know maybe you could give us a a better idea as to what the commitment of Mortimer means, and maybe the overall feeling as to what Florida State feels like it has in the wide receiver room currently. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, FSU gets gets Devon
1: Mortimer, and like the one thing you got to know is is speed. I mean, he is one of the fastest players. In the state like that that's what you get he's small there's no question about it but they like if you talk to anybody who's seen practice if you talk to anybody who coaches at practice they know right now fsu really lacks in speed at the receiver position so you know, mortimer seems to catch the ball well but he is small but i think you are willing to sacrifice some of that to get some more speed on this roster, you don't necessarily want seven guys who fit that profile. But if you really have diagnosed your roster as lacking in speed and and lacking as somebody who who can who can change the game, uh, then you go out and 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 you get a Mortimer. You know, we've spoken about how the receiver position this year in state is is pretty lacking, and I think that's true. I mean, more and more seven on sevens this weekend, and kind of more and more of that uh, of, of that sentiment prevailing, but. Uh, I was told that one of the coaches on staff, I think it might have been Yak, saw him at a seven-on-seven seven that his son was playing in. So as you recall, the rule is that if your son is playing in a tournament or at a camp, you can go and and observe that camp. Uh, Jimbo's son would, would go to you know to some camps, and Jimbo could go to those. Willie Taggart's son, the same. Uh, Manny Diaz's son is a, a linebacker. I don't think he's a 22. I think he's like a 23 or 24 who was at the Under Armour camp that I was at two weekends ago. Uh, So pretty common there, but apparently, uh, I think it was Yak, liked what he saw of the player in the camp, and and they went ahead and offered. So at least one of FSU's coaches have actually seen this guy uh, in in person. I think that's, I think it's a solid take, given given what you have in the state this year. So um, probably not a guy who's going to threaten five-star status, given his size. But somebody who can who can you know, be helpful to you, I would also say this is not a take to get Nigel Kelly to stay in the fold, right? Uh, he has teammates with, with Nigel League, the four-star defensive lineman for, for Florida State, who keeps rising up the recruiting rankings after he keeps dominating at all of these camps, and, and he looks like like a dude who's not even close to, to filling out his frame uh, with a lot more upward mobility in that area. Um, but yeah, I think this is overall a, a solid take. I think if you if you grade this take on, remember what our criteria was, because this is somebody who can stay in your class if you go in that five to seven to seven and five range. I think yes. So from that standpoint, I, I like the take there too. Overall, I, I think that's, that's pretty solid. All right. You know what else is really solid, man? The team at Legendary Home Loans. Legendary Home Loans, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. The loans continue to pour in. Which is crazy because I'm like, how many houses are, are there out there to buy right now? I feel like everybody I know buying a house is getting into a bidding war. And if you're going to get into a bidding war, you want to go in with some awesome support behind you. The team at Legendary can help you do so. Fast turnarounds. I was talking to Chad last night, actually. Shannon is on vacation right now. So Chad is handling these loans for the next, uh what, 10 days as, as, as Shannon's on his anniversary trip. Congrats to Shannon. Uh, and, and me as well, 15 years, awesome accomplishment. But 844-FSU-LOAN, awesome customer service, great rates, knowledge of the industry. Th- that's, that's who you want to go with. I've done it twice, and, and I'd, I'd be really happy to do it a third time. 844-FSU-LOAN, make the right call today with the legendary team.
0: Uh, with that, we'll jump into our listener questions. Uh, Steven leads us off this morning uh, over under on... Uh, Signing 1.5 of the following kids, uh, Julian Armella, Marvin Jones Jr., and then the uh, super talented wide receiver, Kevin Coleman. Uh, Bud, what would you put those odds at?
1: Okay, so signing at least two of the three. Let me go to my my probability odds calculator here, right? Mm, I mean, Kevin Coleman... I, his recruitment is just starting. The, the receiver out, out of St. Louis. If you if you listen to what he says about the schools he's in touch with, right? Alabama, Oregon, Arizona State, Florida State, Texas, USC, Penn State. That's an out of state player uh, who FSU you know, does have some existing relationships with. So I, I don't want to say that like he's just no ch- no shot, but if those other options are actually legit for him, l- l- let's put it to the test, right? is Kevin Coleman the type of guy you can sign if you go in that five to seven to seven and
0: five range? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I don't. I would have Coleman at 10% or less for right now. I would agree. I mean, that's, that's where I would put him in, in my own personal odds calculator. So obviously that,
1: that, uh, you know, that really kind of knocks it down right now. I, I I don't really think there's a whole lot of reason to think if she's going to sign Kevin Coleman, if those other options are real, And I have to say if those other options are real for this reason, because we don't actually know if Alabama, like how much do they want this kid? A lot of these schools are not really actively recruiting that hard right now as far as pushing for commitments, right? Florida State is, and it's smart on FSU's part to go out there and create this momentum a lot like Tennessee did last offseason or Minnesota did last offseason. I mean, FSU's in the top 10 in recruiting right now, and I think the players that they got are are good players, right? But would they be top 10 if the other schools were pushing for other commits right now? Possibly so, because they have two guys who are rated as five stars. But you got to realize, I mean, it's very, very early. So a lot of schools are not pushing for commits so far. I mean, Ohio State's got 11, so they, they're clearly pretty sure who they want. But that one school, Alabama, they only have five commitments right now, and I think there's a lot of guys they're not sure about. And we know the dead period is going to lift, and you're going to have visits and evaluations most likely starting June one. You know, Florida is not really pushing for a lot of commitments right now. There's a lot of schools out there right like that who are like, you know, we're going to wait a couple more months. And we're going to see these kids in person. FSU, they have to take that risk and they have to go ahead and accept a lot of commitments right now and push for kids. Right now, I think it's a smart strategy for them. I think it's a smart strategy for schools like Alabama. So everybody has to do what is in their best interest. But if he's actually a take at all those schools, I, I agree with you. And I think 10% might be generous. Are you going to commit to a, a Florida State school if they go seven and five or five and seven or seven and five or six and six when you live in St. Louis, Missouri? I don't know. Questionable. With Armella and Jones, they're in-state kids. They are at positions of obvious need, where early playing time is not only available but pretty much guaranteed. Um, and they're also legacy. So those guys, I, I think there's there's probably a, a much better shot. I I will say there is a thirty percent
0: chance Eppsue signs two of these three. Yeah, I, that's, I mean even that maybe. Maybe mildly generous based off, off how you break it down. But, yeah, I mean, they've got a chance. Um, you like your chances with with Jones Jr., hopefully at the end of the day. Armella, uh, I don't know. I've heard various things on on how strong the tie there may be. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, they're in-state prospects, major positions of need, um, certainly a whole different kettle of fish when comparing those two to uh, to. Coleman and, and the likelihood that they end up in Tallahassee,
1: no doubt. All right, so uh, the next one comes from Terry. Uh, he wants to know, like, how often do coaches misju- Excuse me. How often do coaches misjudge what they have?
0: Uh, very frequently, Terry. <laughs> I mean, I would say that the uh, if if we're reading this as misjudging the talent on their own roster. You know, certainly have a propensity to do that when you first get there, regardless of who you are. I mean, uh, I don't think we were doing the null cast at the time. In fact, I know we weren't doing the null cast in this year, but uh, we both talked to each other before uh, the first Oklahoma uh, game of the Jimbo Fisher Air. And that staff was wildly confident about what they were going to be able to do. They had all this, uh, you know, two tight end uh, formations drawn up that they thought they were going to be lo- leveraged. <laughs> I can sit here and tell you all day what they thought they were going to do. They got their ass handed to them. I mean, you know, that was a legitimate coaching staff who was pretty damn confident about what they were taking out to Oklahoma. And uh, 10 minutes into the game was obvious that none of what they thought was going to transpire had even a snowball's chance of hell of playing out. So uh, everybody misjudges their talent. Uh, You just can't be a repeat offender. And you can't be a repeat offender based off the set of ingredients that allowed you to misjudge your talent the first time. So um, if you know you've got an offensive line that can't block anybody, then you can't go into a year uh, in year two and be convinced again that you have one of the better defensive lines in the country because of what uh, you saw in practice and not be able to throw that through the filter of what the other side of the ball is.
1: I agree with that. So. Like let, let's look at the the last three times this, that coaches have misjudged what they have. Uh, and I think they're at, at FSU. Because all three head coaches, like the last three head coaches they've had, have done so. But to me, there are two categories of this, right? And you nailed the first one. I think the first one is misjudging what you have relative to the competition level. So, from that standpoint, yes. Jimbo missed, totally misjudged what they had against Oklahoma. Like, they... They thought they were going to go out there and and bust them up, and instead they got whipped. I think Willie Taggart thought they they were going to you know run through the ACC, maybe not Clemson, but you know like the rest of it. They they thought they were they were pretty much done losing to teams. You know, like
0: they like, were bizarrely confident. Yeah, both years in what they were going to get out of Clemson week. Well, is yeah, that's true. Crazy talk, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Definitely, I guess I'm thinking more preseason. Um, yeah. They thought they were going to be Virginia Tech by twenty. I mean,
1: yeah. And then with with uh, with with Norvell and his staff, they they certainly thought they'd be a lot better than they were last year. And I think the key is: are these guys get are these guys accurately judging who the best players are on their roster? For the most part, I think the answer is yes. I don't think that there's a whole lot of situations where they have the best players on the bench. As far as figuring out who the best players are in practice. I think I, I agree that they don't misjudge that much. But if you are new to a league or new to an opponent, so like Jimbo didn't, I don't think he misjudged what that team was going to do in 2010 against the ACC. He badly misjudged what it was going to do against Oklahoma since he had never played Oklahoma, right? Well, I guess he did in 2003, the, the LSU-Oklahoma National Championship game in the BCS. Uh, but you know that was seven years ago. Willie Taggart misjudged this team's talent relative to the ACC, a league he had never played in. Just like Jimbo misjudged FSU's talent relative to Oklahoma. Mike Norvell's staff misjudged this team's talent relative to the ACC, a league that other was propitious at Maryland when Maryland was still in the ACC. If he was, that was a long time ago anyway, because I mean, they left in, in what, 20, 2014 was, was the first uh, Louisville year, I think. So the, the consistent thing here is, yes, it is very possible to misjudge what your team is going to do if you are a new coaching staff who is not coaching the league. Because especially, I think with a name like Florida State, you assume okay, some of these guys are are, are big and fast, and you know they they got to be they got to be better than these other ACC teams. Uh, well, that may not be the case. And I also think there's this this idea that if you come from a league like the AAC can you kind of get high on your own supply when they talk about the Power 6 stuff, right? You remember that? Like, oh, Power 6, Power 6, and how they, they go out and, and UCF beats Auburn and uh, you know Memphis makes it to the to the game against Penn State. The, the the ACC has a lot better players than the AAC does. So I do think it's very possible to correctly judge what you have on your roster as far as who's the best players or who are the best players on your roster. However, to badly misjudge what you have relative to the to the league you're going to play. And I think that's happened to some extent with all three coaches. Jimbo can't really misjudge what he has against the ACC because he was the offensive coordinator on staff for three years prior to him taking over as head coach. But he still
0: did it against Oklahoma in a, in a, in a pretty bad way. So it's, it's actually very common. That's a good, uh, good answer to a question there. Uh, Bob has our next question. Bob writes, so here we are with Florida's NIL law set to go into effect on July 1st the NCA backing off of the issue, a crazy quilt to proposed and passed state laws around the country and no clear path to federal legislation on this issue. It's a mess, but what do you think the recruiting impact of the NIL is at this moment?
1: I think at this moment, it's, they're still in, in sort of the preparation stages, you know, schools want to be prepared and they want to like right now. I know that they are pitching kids uh, based on what they can do for them, you know, once these NIL laws are passed, once the federal issue is taken care of, once the NCAA issue is taken care of, the the, the NCAA kind of doesn't want to do its own thing. They 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 want the feds to hopefully, you know, misunderstand the issue and then pass something that is, you know, fairly kind of cutting the legs out, out of some of these state laws. I I think, or take the NCAA uh, out of it. I don't want a path to 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 paying players, Uh, but as far as the current recruiting impact of NIL, it's almost all just showing kids what they can do for them. You know, when it passes, so business connections, local business connections, potential products they could endorse, uh, marketing agencies in house that can maybe help kids out to to show the value of their Instagram, of their Twitter, of of their their brand and of their value. I know one example here is that schools are making custom brand logos for kids, actually. Uh, to you know, For instance, uh, who was the receiver? And FSU didn't make this logo, but he had already had his logo made. Was it Brian Robinson, I think? The, the, the second-year player for FSU, the, the receiver. I'm pretty sure he, he's a guy who already had his own, his own brand logo uh, made, which is pretty smart. I mean, honestly, like there's no real downside to doing this. Assuming that you still focus on football and, and that you are, because he didn't make an impact last year. Yeah, right. I mean, like you actually have to be good in, in, in order to get some some followers uh, and 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 to to use your your name, image, and likeness. But this is certainly something that schools are, are gearing up to uh, now. Technically, you're not supposed to be able to, to to funnel money to players via NIL at all for, for recruiting purposes. But uh, if you consider what happens un, under the table now, I mean, let's use some common sense here.
0: Let's do yes. Let's do. Uh, maybe a better better situation for everybody if we bring some of what is below the table above. But uh,
1: we got a question about Travis Hunter, man.
0: Yeah, Travis Hunter, man. I'm glad glad we go ahead and tick the Travis Hunter box uh, this early in the pod. Austin writes, I totally agree with Ingram's previous comment that Travis might just be our minds playing. Uh, Travis Hunter might just be our minds playing tricks on us. With that being said, which position does he impact? Uh, at Florida State the most wide receiver or quarterback or is his versatility the most exciting factor? Well, I the versatility
1: oftentimes you talk about versatility when a guy's maybe not an impact player at one position and but yet he's he's very valuable because he plays a lot of different roles. Here, I mean you have a guy who like legitimately might be the best receiver recruit in the country and I think no doubt is the best defensive back recruit in the country. You just don't see that. Uh, not not often. Um I think FSU fully intends to play him both ways. Now, is he going to start and play the entire game at both positions? I think that's unrealistic because then you're playing 170 snaps a game or 150 snaps a game, depending on on the pace of the opponent that you play. But could he play 40 snaps a game on on each side? I think so. That's 80 snaps. The guy's in great shape. He go... Man, Travis Hunter just... He's kind of got that kind of that like like Michael Jordan mentality about a man just you don't see these five-star kids going out there playing both ways the entire time at these seven ons weekend after weekend after weekend and like like they just they care and I think it bothers Travis Hunter if he gets beat on any rep like that that's a guy his intensity that's just hard to do a lot of people can't dial that up Every single time, and and he seems to be able to. I, I think he's going to legitimately play both ways. They're pitching him on it. They know they need him to do it, and I, I think it's a unique opportunity uh,
0: that that he is actually going to play both ways. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled with the idea of <laughs> of Hunter, and uh, will continue to be, uh, you know, his his biggest proponent possible. My my only concern is actually how he does once he gets on campus. I mean, how he handles. He's, he's probably going to be the most talented person in the locker room the first day he walks in, um, and how that's going to translate to, you know, his expectation of his teammates and things like that. But look, that's, that's a good problem to have and see kind of what he does above about just raising the general, uh, you know, level of practice. And, and I, I don't know what that necessarily does to a locker room when a, a freshman's the best player on the team, but, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, uh, somebody who saw him this weekend called me immediately afterwards and was like, yeah, that's one of the more dynamic kids I've seen over the past half decade. And, uh, that's not necessarily that astute of an observation. I mean, he's a ridiculously talented kid who, um, you know, we've talked in, we've talked chapter and verse about how important he would be to Florida state and what he would signal as far as this turnaround project
1: guys. They were recruiting who would start immediately or would start if they could skip their, skip their senior years of high school. We've said this a couple times. And who's the last guy we said this about? Evan Neal?
0: Definitely Neal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Evan Neal would have absolutely started and would start, like, obviously, like, like I think freshman Evan Neal starts on this team. Um, Even though the line is certainly better than it was, you know, two or three years ago when FSU was was recruiting Neal. There's somebody else we said this about, like a a guy that would no doubt start for them, like, if if he could just skip his senior year. Travis Hunter probably would have started, them, started for them last year if he could skip his junior year. I don't think it's at all crazy to think 16-year-old Travis Hunter last year starts at FSU. Oh,
0: yeah. L- l- yeah. Look
1: what he's doing. I mean,
0: just crushing people. All right, good. I feel better. Every time we have our Travis Hunter conversation, I, I feel better. I know, it sounds Absolutely. crazy. It is the, <laughs> the safety blanket <laughs> that I put on myself during these trying times. Uh, Full disclosure, like, I mean, you know, we were having the
1: like the pre show conversation and we we had both heard some things from practice that were not you know just not super encouraging. Um and just some not depressing, but just kind of downer reminders that like, yeah, you know, like like you can get caught up in the preseason stuff, but kind of still in that five and seven, seven and five range, most likely. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Travis Hunter talk makes everybody feel good.
0: And one thing that does not uh, need a dramatic turnaround or some uh, dynamic injection of talent into it is our good friends at Madison Social. Been with us since day one, really a driving force of the uh, creation of the Noel cast And uh, it is rare that we you know, pump uh, same day as public uh, as publication type stuff. But uh, when it's St. Patty's Day and when it is the grandest of all Reuben days, we certainly make an exception. Uh, today is... Uh, the 17th of March. It is St. Patrick's Day, and it is uh, the biggest Reuben Day that they do all year. So swing by our friends over there uh, at Madison Social. Uh, fantastic as always, but uh, all the better on St. Patrick's Day. And I uh, you know, I didn't go to school in Tallahassee, but I know St. Patrick's Day as a college student was a hell of a lot of fun for me. I'm sure it was for you in Tallahassee, bud. And yes, uh, if you're a college student, it just so happened to hear this uh enjoy (laughs) enjoy today and days like it uh they are fantastic and i would try to absorb them as much as possible
1: st patrick's day in college is just one of those days you just unless it falls on a weekend you really don't get people don't take off work on a two uh, on a wednesday to, to day drink all
0: day for st patrick's day you know what i mean like like it's just yeah Unless you're like in Chicago or Boston or something like that. But yeah. Right. Absolutely. There's a
1: couple of these college, you know, like basically holidays that are celebrated only in a certain college fashion, but like you're skipping class and day drinking green beer all day, or at least, at least we would, regardless of what day St. Patrick's Day happened on. And you got to go over to Madsö to do that, fully encourage that, of course, safely. Uh, But yeah, man, like that, that's just, that's one of those things you just, you don't get to do once you get out of college for the most part that that like people, people don't take off work for Cinco de Mayo. They don't take off work for St. Patrick's day heavily frowned upon. Let me tell you,
0: yeah. uh, you, you don't you don't put the out of office up for Cinco de Mayo. Uh, so, uh, oh, man. <laughs> all right. So Matt asked a question uh, with the state of the quarterback room. Could you see Florida state staff staff taking a route similar to the Saints and playing Milton as their primary quarterback, playing Travis at quarterback every third or fourth series, seems logical that it might allow Milton to work his way back into it in a more measured way and still give Florida State uh, to hold on some of the lightning in a bottle that can be Jordan Travis at quarterback. Uh, is there any past evidence of Norvell, Dillingham, or Atkins running a system in such a way?
1: I gotta say, I love this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great
1: question. I think Abishu's receivers are are still one of the worst groups in the ACC, and I don't think much of their tight ends. Like they can hype Wyatt Rector and Preston Daniel and those guys all they want, but Jordan Wilson's not back healthy yet, and Jackson West is a freshman. We'll see what they get when Parchment gets on campus. We know he does have some ability, and we'll see what they get when Destin Hill or Destin Hill gets on campus, because he he's not a not an early enrollee. I mean. Do these receivers do they scare anybody at this point on your schedule? Not not many. I think you're I think you not only should do this, I think you might have to, right? Because you're not going to have the QB run game that you had with Jordan Travis last year. And that's basically all you had as an offense. Travis was not a good thrower. You could not run the ball back when Blackman was playing quarterback because. Blackman does not give you the plus one element that Jordan Travis does. And not to mention that Travis is one of your, maybe your most dynamic playmaker uh, on the football team. So that was a pretty big issue uh, for them last year. I would say that you have to, I think you might have to do this. It's a change up. It's something that offenses have to account for. Have they ever done so? They used Kenny Gangwell a whole lot at Wildcat that one year. And he was a, I believe a high school quarterback who ended up playing running back and somebody that I know internally, this staff compares Castellanos to quite a bit. As far as a QB, you understand it's the offense playmaker, but has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Now I think Jordan Travis is a better thrower, thrower of the football than, than Kenny Gainwell was, but I think look, Taysom Hill, as far as wildcat quarterbacks go is a much better thrower than, than most of, of wildcat, you know, most wildcat quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt Milton's a better quarterback than Jordan Travis. Given what you have on this team, how much of Milton's skill
0: set is actually maximized? What, what do you think about that? I mean, there's a reason why we both talked about the fact that if you're going to bring Milton in, then you almost certainly had to bring a, an offensive lineman in in the portal that was, uh, you know, had the capability and, and talent to booster uh, protection in general, both uh, you know for Milton, but also to you know, give yourself enough uh, assuredness that you can pass block without, I don't know if smoke and mirrors is the right term, but without some of the confusion that was created by uh, Jordan Travis being your quarterback last year and how that makes the defense approach things a little bit differently. Um, To this point, that doesn't has not happened. I still remain uh, mildly confident that it will transpire at some point in time that they'll add a a decent piece. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have to have some you're going to have to have some creativity there. Uh, you've got some some decent pieces, uh, but you've still got a lot of things to overcome uh, from a talent perspective. And I think, uh, you know, we saw last year that, that Travis is uh, certainly a work in, in progress and a, a diamond that has to be polished a lot, but a guy that can make two guys miss on a play and change the scoreboard. And uh, you don't necessarily want to, you know, let that – get entirely out of your offense either. So we uh, will be fascinating to see how they try to balance that. Yeah,
1: my concern for this offense right now is how do you, first of all, can, can you pass protect without without a, the benefit of, of play action and without teams really caring about your run game that much? Is FSU going to have as good of a run game without Travis's legs back there? I kind of doubt it, to be honest. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's sort of a numbers thing. Can they push the ball down the field? Milton's arm is nothing special. His release is really special. He's got a super quick, you know, flicky release, which helps to make up for the fact that the arm is is not great. Milton's not going to threaten the defense with his legs, I, I don't think. He's trying to win with his mind and with his quick release, which, God, that sounds a lot like Drew Brees, right? Now, I don't think he's Drew Brees. I don't think he has Drew Brees' accuracy and, and, and touch. You know, otherwise he'd be hyped as more of an NFL guy. Like, how do they get the ball down the field? Do they have any receivers that scare you down the field? Uh, I don't know. At this point, I would say no. Can they pass protect for a long time to, to allow the, the receivers to get open? Kind of doubt it. Will defenses try to sort of play FSU in a box and bottle them up inside of 15, 20 yards? I would at this point. So anything you can do to switch things up, yeah, I, I would say absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that also keeps Travis more involved and more invested and, and less
0: likely to transfer. No, I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's a win-win and something that I would expect to see in some sort of capacity. Uh, absolutely. His next question, real quickly, are you buying the idea of Travis having at least one touchdown rushing, passing, and receiving next year? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that, certainly. I mean, the receiving one uh, may be a little bit difficult, but yeah, uh, in my opinion, got a decent chance of that transpiring.
1: I, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's, that's uh, I, I would buy. All right, this question from Bobby, uh, he sent us this, and I think this is pretty baddie, but it's so baddie that we're going to go ahead and take it. I like, I, you want to take it? I, I feel like it's crazy, but let, let's, you want to do it? <laughs>
0: Let's do it. Let's do it for sure. So, uh, so we got, I believe this one was via our Twitter DMs where we did draw a couple from the email, uh, address. And we always appreciate that. Uh, we will point out the vast majority of the questions come from our Patreons and we thank them for the support that they have Showed us uh, both in supporting the show, uh, but also really adding to it uh, with a lot of these questions over the uh, past weeks. And and thank you, as always, patreon.com backslash nullcast if you have uh, an interest in joining their ranks. So Bobby's question, it seems like all reasonable predictions for Florida State and UF next year has Florida winning. But let this gator hater paint a picture of a likely UF season. Oh, this is going to be good, bud. You're right. All right. So UF loses to Bama week three by two touchdowns. <laughs> I love the, I love the detail. Uh, UF loses to Bama week three by two touchdowns, taking away the we played Bama, the closest point they've made all off season. Then a few games later, they play at LSU. If they lose that game, they play UGA two weeks later. UGA wins. This makes them 5-3. and three. Now, in 2018, this was no big deal. Dan had turned the team around and was pushing for a New Year's Six Bowl down the stretch. But in 2021, uh, this is the year it's Dan's guys. Now they're sliding backwards. Sign up the Dan to the NFL rumors paired with some bad press comments that are bound to happen. Grantham defense is not as improved as fans want. Now I'm a believer in momentum, but I do think the buy-in meter for this team is a better indicator. Do the players start to check out? With us being the last game and all this happening, does UF overlook Florida State and we have a chance to come in and beat the Gators? Mike is preaching climb, and if we have six wins going into that game, this could be a team that is playing for pride and showing they are turning it around. Also, let's not forget our history. 2012, (laughs) Uh, one, I love the question two damn you for making me read this. Uh, also let's <laughs> there not are forget no our paragraphs history. in this by the way <laughs> like I, I copy
1: pasted this in exactly as we got it and there uh, B- Bobby did not use any paragraphs. Ingram is trying to read this. it is hilarious so pick back up with 2012
0: <laughs> uh, also. Let's not forget our history. 2012, great season for UF. Then in 2013, a four-win season with Muschamp. Fired. 2016, great season, lost to Bama in the title game. Then a 2017 four-win season for Mac. Fired. Now 20 great season, then 21. Dot, dot, dot. I think history repeats itself this season that Dan checks out after UGA. Could also make similar case for UM and Bama, UNC and us getting them late then uh, getting them late when maybe King and others start to opt out to preserve NFL stock added plus to the pressure on Dan. If FSU is beating them in the recruiting rankings in November, does it add to the allure of going to the NFL? Love the show. And as a listener who started in 2018, I'm looking forward to hearing what a NOLCAST season sounds like with a winning Florida state team. All right, Bobby enjoy. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. This is pretty fun. And it's actually timely
1: because I, I on, on the Cover 3 show uh, th- that I do on CBS Sports, I was just looking into to UF. And I I think UF going to be pretty damn good. Now, I do not think they're going to be as good as they were last year, but I, I don't think they're going to have this colossal drop-off that, that some are predicting. They're losing some special playmakers on offense, but I think they did a good job in the transfer portal uh, as far as defensively. And I think that they're going to be much better on the defensive line just straight out, I do not have UF in the winnable game category. I do not think that Florida State's offensive line can block Florida's defensive line. And I think Dan Mullen with with, with the offensive skill that UF has now will find a way to score you know 30, 35 plus on this defense. I don't think it's a winnable game physically. I think he'll get whipped physically up front.
0: While I share many of your sentiments there, bud, I will say that if I was looking around and projecting programs that could have as far away from the general consistency as their win total as to what might be, uh, UF would be at the top of my list. I mean, I I don't know if I quite sign off on everything that Bobby thinks here, but I do think that there's some... um, not a great foundation there right now with their coach and a coach who made public overtures to the NFL and that didn't come out. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't put a, <laughs> that's fair. I didn't put a, a, a 300 word paragraph together, but I agree with Bobby that I think that there things could go South there. So uh, we'll keep an eye out.
1: Let, let me ask you this. Do you think that the internal messaging of that team is, Hey, we have a chance to get back and beat Bama this year? Like, because I I think that would be a mistake, right? I don't look at this team as a team that has a likely shot to win the SEC, and I and so I really wonder, you know, will like twenty seventeen Florida State? It was easy to see the 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 you know kind of the wheels coming off of that thing if they lost early, and then especially when when Francois, uh, you know, tore his leg up, um, because that team thought they were they were national title good, and they had a lot of national title c- caliber players. Uh, with UF, I I I'm not hearing that hype. So unless Dan Mullen is and that that team is is incorrectly sort of setting expectations internally, I don't know that going you know nine and three for them makes them collapse. But maybe I mean maybe I I also don't know how real the NFL stuff was with Mullen. Right? Like listen to some some podcasts of guys who do NFL stuff, they were kind of thinking that eh, maybe that NFL stuff wasn't that real. And sometimes you put that out there to make you feel a little more
0: appreciated at home. Mm. Not sure that was the, uh, the way that played out, but yeah, I mean, I can I see what you're saying. I just like, like I wonder
1: what NFL team is going to take him. Maybe if he if decide, like maybe the Dallas Cowboys reunite with, uh, with, with Dak or something. Yeah. I, I, I do think that the, it's been reported. I think Matt Hayes had this, that the relationship there was a little bit more frosty than some people realized. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think they're going to fall apart. Maybe they will. I, I don't think it's likely to happen. The UM piece is interesting, though. Do you now? I think Derek King needs to do everything he absolutely can. I don't think he, there's a whole lot of NFL stock to preserve there to opt out. Like, do you think Derek King's an NFL quarterback? I, I
0: think he'd be playing in the NFL this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, no. exactly. Um, So I, I think he's going to need to play every single possible rep he can. To, to prove that he's an NFL QB. I, I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. Um, But I do think it's possible that that Miami could certainly have some stuff go wrong and, and start to check out. It's also possible Florida could. Like, I think Bobby's point here is fair. I just, look, they're not going to overlook FSU. They're going to get up for that game. And if they get up for that game, physically, I think FSU gets whipped at the point of attack. Because, I mean, like, if you can't block Jermaine Johnson in practice, Jermaine Johnson was going to be second or third string at Georgia, right? He, it's not like he got one of Georgia's starters. They got dudes coming there. He might have been third string. Probably not, probably second, but it's possible. It certainly wasn't going to be first string. If you can't block him, you can't block Brenton Cox and you can't block Zach Carter because both those guys are a hell of a lot better than Jermaine Johnson is. I just think physically, like yeah. that's not a game you can yeah. win.
0: Yeah, we'll see what transpires. Uh, if you if have cares, if UF which cares, I guess certainly. is Bobby's point. Yeah, you, you would think that you know, maybe the fact that you haven't played in two years would uh, guarantee a little bit more of a, a focus on that game or an emotional buy-in, but, you know, who knows? Kids uh, kids look at rivalry games much differently than, than fans do, and I'm probably letting a little bit of fan enter into my thought process there. Um, so, uh, hey, look, one set of people that we want to thank are good friends at Congruity. Uh, Matt Lewis has been a great addition for us. Uh, we think we're pretty close to being able to announce a, a second uh, company that has paired with congruity. So fantastic that uh, that appears to be going well. Look, it's it's worth spending 10 minutes of your time. Okay. Just uh, evaluate it. See if it's a good fit for you. Uh, see if they can put some things in that either help you be a little bit more profitable, a little bit more efficient in what you're doing. Uh, good people that we have very much enjoyed working with and would encourage you to reach out and see, uh if you think you would have a similar experience matt can be reached at 844 247 4100 again 844 247 4100 or Knowles n o l e s at congruityhr.com
1: all right uh let's get out of here on
0: uh on kevin's maybe i think or we we got a couple more yeah kevin's Kevin's got a question here. Uh, there's been more and more cases in basketball where a recruit will classify, reclassify to start their earnings clock as soon as possible. Why doesn't this happen more often in football, especially in Florida this year, where there is a dearth of wide receivers and running backs?
1: So a couple things. Uh, I think part of it is we, we are seeing it some in football, uh, notably Tony Grimes is a guy you know, who, who did this for, for North Carolina when the state of Virginia announced that they were not going to play football in the fall at the high school level. Another part of this is, you know, physical readiness. How many of these guys are actually ready to play? Like, like do they re in basketball? They reclassify. They want to get to the NBA faster. They think they're ready to play in college basketball. And they are because college basketball strength is not quite as important. It's. College basketball is a contact sport, but it is not a collision sport. Football is a collision sport where you're act like like you're actively contacting somebody physically on every play. I think this could be a trend, though, that we see a couple more kids per year do, uh, but they also have to plan for it. Like like these basketball phenoms, a lot of times we know about
0: these kids in seventh and eighth grade. No, man. I mean, if you look at six if you look at the sixth grade rankings of elite basketball players, it's pretty damn consistent five years later. I mean, it, it really is.
1: When I get emailed about a sixth grader, I delete that shit. I'm like, okay, you're you're a helicopter dad. I don't care. Like, no dude, trust me, man. It's crazy. I, know.
0: Like, I, don't, doubt dude, it's it. I don't doubt it. At all, but I, just, I just love the fact that somebody would email you about their sixth grade about middle school football. Or I, but, I Google you know, the dad
1: not. to find out he's five, nine. And then I, then I delete like extra fast. And I'm like, okay. Like, like the chance this, you know, cause genetics matter and like lo- looking at the parents matters quite a bit. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, that, that's not a thing I'm interested in because football is a lot about, do you win the puberty lottery? I never had a coach tell me, man, I, I wish this guy would have played some pop Warner football, right? Just never happens. They don't. A lot of these college coaches don't care about your fundamentals that much. They just want to see height, weight, speed, and they'll coach the rest. High school coaches hate that, by the way. But it's look—they clearly would prefer if you had some fundamentals. But I mean, look at some of these guys that even these really, really good schools take. They can't play as freshmen, and all of a sudden, sophomores—they're they're, they're starting to get it. It's because they have the physical ability, and then they get coached up. Yeah, so it doesn't happen in football. I think for the physical maturity reason, and also for like the the coordination, body control reason. I, you see this more with with small guys in basketball, correct? Like the, your real, real big guys a lot of times take longer, you know, to develop. Like we just mentioned, Travis Hunter, if he could reclassify and, and join FSU this fall, which I'm saying, like if it was possible, I, I don't think he has the credits to do it. Which is the other point? Like you have to be planning for this because it's not that easy to get get three years worth of credit or four years worth of credits in uh, in in three years to be able to enroll.
0: But if you plan for it, I mean, certainly you you could do it. It's uh yeah. I mean, we'll have to see whether or not it it comes into you know fruition or if it becomes more popular. But you're right, not something that you can just kind of instantaneously shift gears and and find yourself in a a new class for. Uh, reclassification purposes. Uh, real quickly before we sign off tonight, just some uh, Olympic sports update. Yeah, you know, Obviously, the basketball season had a disappointing end of their season with two different opportunities to win both the regular season and the uh, tournament title there. Let's slip away from them. They are set for a Saturday tip-off. Fingers crossed that everybody uh, you know goes into the bubble and makes their way out of the bubble in a manner that allows these games to take place. But they're playing UNCG. We'll be talking about that more uh, great to see the ba- the baseball team beat Florida last night, ten to two. That started to be a uh, trend, and where that series was going, that was uh, pretty disturbing. And Florida State has now beaten the Gators twice, and uh, just real quickly. The softball team has a shortstop who is absolutely ridiculous. You might have seen a clip about a month ago of her jumping over second base and tagging somebody uh, between their legs, wh- or between their legs, which is impressive, but kind of not. You know, I- I'm not diminishing it, but uh, she made a play about a week ago where shortstop gets down, fields a ball that is incredibly well hit, uh, snap throw to third. Just if you enjoy it, the softball team is good as they always are, and they've got another special piece in the middle of their infield. So that is your quick Olympic sports sign-off.
1: I like that. Yeah, we, we, we do get requests for some
0: Olympic, Olympic sports from time to time. Not many, but but some, so. And if I didn't say Josie Muffley's name, I apologize. I should. That is the shortstop. She's incredible. It's worth a Google search. Uh, she definitely flash the leather, as the kids used to say. L-
1: little uh, Jorge Baez uh, style tags. Or not, not, excuse me, Jose Baez, not, not Jorge. What am I thinking here? Baseball season is about to start for, for the pros. Awesome, man. Uh, if we didn't get to your question, we will we'll try to get to it in a future episode. We had a couple that we kicked to uh, basically our off-season question bank that we like that we can kind of deep dive on a little bit more. Uh, FSU football practice still going on. I don't know. Ingram and I are kind of kind of you know, loath to make judgments about this team too early, and yet we do it all throughout the episode. So um, hopefully, we'll learn a little more out of practice this week, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Five stars on iTunes.
0: This has been the KnollCast. The KnollCast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knolls!